So my business model is a market skimming approach. I'm expensive. Everything in my company is expensive. And I did achieve that top 1% cosmetic injector in America. I still hold that status. I achieved that in 2018. And so that's what I tell people. You're here to pay for me and my expertise, my company, the methods and the techniques that I have taught every person under my employment. You're not here to buy a product from us. You're here to buy our methodology. listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Emily Tryon is CEO and founder of Aesthetic Solutions Medspa in Scottsdale, Arizona. A native of South Carolina, she trained at the Aesthetic Skin Institute in both Florida and California. And when she opened up her own clinic in 2013, it grew at a remarkable rate. She made her name as an injector and reached $1 million in revenue by her fifth year of business on word of mouth alone. She also became one of the top 1% of cosmetic injectors in America in the same time frame. Since 2019, she's been ranked in the top 1% of injectors nationwide. Since then, she's made a name for herself more widely, both as a teacher to other injectors and as an inspirational speaker and business coach to other med spa owners across America. But she's not done. Her business motto is Scottsdale to Singapore by 2024. So how did she grow her clinic so fast and how does she plan to scale it even further? Let's dive in. Emily, welcome to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. Thank you. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. Fantastic. We're excited to have you here as well. Um, so first of all, just tell me a little bit um, in your words um, about a little bit about your about about your clinic and your business. Sure. So I am a registered nurse and I'm the CEO and founder of Aesthetic Solutions Med Spa. And we are a high-end boutique wellness med spa located in North Scottsdale, Arizona. And I started my company, it will be eight years ago this July. And when I first started, the only products that were available largely were Botox and Juvederm. We didn't have, even eight years ago, we didn't have the Vicross technology products that, that Allergan has come out and produced. We had Restylane, but we didn't have, you know, the entire cosmetic line that they've come out with. So I had very few tools in my tool belt when I first started. And as a my practice, one of the most beneficial parts to being able to grow in size is to be able to offer every single cosmetic injectable made in America to my patients. So we have all injectable products. I like to laugh and, and say at this point in my career of being a, an injector, I've injected everything everywhere. <laughs> so body sculpting. 
Let, let's talk a little bit about the injectable sides of your business. Um, in your on your website, um, it says um, that you generated a million dollars in revenue in injectables alone per year with just you as the injector before your clinic was even five years old. So how did you do that? And there's lots of clinics that are very well established that would love to be turning over that much in injectables every year. How did you manage that so quickly? Sure. So uh, I would say there are two tactics that I really uh, deployed to to reach that status. So that's true. Uh, by year five, I did 1.2 million in top line revenue at my clinic. Um, myself as a single chair injector, I did 1 million and I had a laser technician who did uh, 100,000 that year. And how did I accomplish that? Well, of note, I did that without a website and very little social media presence. And I did also, I also did not have a retail storefront. So how I did that was on word of mouth. That's how I built my business. Our profit margins are very tight in the cosmetic industry. A lot of people think because it's a cash-based business that that all goes just right into our, our pocketbooks. And it's absolutely not true. The cost of doing business is incredibly high um, in this Actually, industry. Actually, I was going to ask you, that was going to be one of my follow-up questions. A million dollars sounds like a lot, but how profitable really was that? Right, exactly. And so it, oftentimes I'll get questions from other med spa owners. Well, how much should I pay my injector? How much should I be paying my front desk? Well, there's no straight answer for that because I don't know what your cost of doing business is. I don't know what your fixed costs are. I don't know what your variable costs are. There are so many factors to play you know, in that. And that's where it really becomes extremely important that regardless of your background, or your medical degree, when you start your own clinic, you are now a business person and it is your job to learn everything that you can about the business industry. Whether you go on and get a formal MBA or in my case, where you get a real life PhD in business. And I like to joke and say that PhD was not free. <laughs> I paid for it in many, many ways. But learning the business of, of business is incredibly important. So to answer your question, I was going to say, so there's, so there's two things that you've identified here. You've identified word of mouth, and I'd really like to hear in a second more about um, whether that just happened or whether that was something that you encouraged and fostered, um, and then about the business side of things, um, where, I where I assume you learned about how to make take that 1 million or 1.2 million and work with the numbers to make it more profitable. Is that right? Absolutely. So as far as word of mouth goes, no, there's no big yellow bus that's ever going to pull up in our parking lot and patients are just going to roll in at their leisure and just be so excited to see us. That does not exist. And, you know, whenever I talk to other uh, practitioners who want to come work for my company and they say, oh, I have a huge book of business and I know they'll all follow me. No, you don't know that. There are always factors involved. Um, many, many factors involved. So how did I build my business on word of mouth? Well, first of all, I took extraordinary care of my patients, that's for sure. So I was very, very careful and cautious with, with my injections. I learned very quickly how to determine, and there's a methodology that I teach in my training course, how to place the right product in the right patient at the right time. 
That is so, so important, not just to prevent adverse events and to ensure that your patient is safe at all times, which is absolutely crucial, but also for your best outcomes for your patient. I don't know another training course out there that offers that methodology because it is so, so key. And in my opinion, the number one uh, point to preventing adverse events. So word of mouth is how I, I initially built my business. And what I did was I asked for the referral. We're in sales. And so when my patient would come in and we had a delightful appointment together and they said, they said to me in my chair, I'm so happy with my outcomes. I said, fantastic. And I would reach over and grab my notepad and my pen. And I would say, can you think of three people in your life who you would love to have feel as good as you do right now? And may I have their names and phone numbers and give them a call? And it was fascinating to me how many people were willing to say, absolutely, call my friend Susie and Sally and Jane. I've been talking to them about you anyway, so they won't be surprised when you call. And so did you, make, did you make those calls personally? That's what it is. You have to do the follow-up, right? So essentially that's leads. That's lead generation. And then the lead conversion is up to you. Anybody who's in sales and marketing will understand this. So lead generation is asking for the referral, right? Lead conversion is actually making the phone call. And when I was first starting, it was just me. I did it all. I took out the trash. I answered the phones. I charted. I scheduled appointments and I treated, I injected the patients. About nine months in, I was able to hire my first assistant, and then she would take over making those phone calls. Hold on. Yes, hold on. Hold on. So it's not actually exactly word of mouth. It was you built it on referrals, in a way. I built it. Yes, I built it on referrals, which is word of mouth because they were talking to the people in their lives and then giving me their names and phone numbers. So okay, so you would phone those people. Some of them would turn into patients. And did you encourage those referrals or that word of mouth any other way? Um, you know, I guess you said at the time you didn't have a website, so you weren't really doing it online. Um, were there any other other tactics that you used? Not from a marketing standpoint. I know that's not what you want to hear because <laughs> you're masterful you at marketing. I know you've done fantastic in marketing. We'll definitely talk about your digital side, which eventually I know you did develop later and are very advanced at. So don't worry, we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah, and I will tell you, you know, because I've been interviewed many times, I was recently published for the second time in Forbes. I tell people, yes, I reached 1.2 million in top line revenue before year five with no website. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I exhausted myself in the process. My marketing budget was incredibly low. So of course that helped with my profit margins, but it took its toll in other ways. I, I oh, wouldn't well, recommend- Well, well, well that, that's the issue really with word of mouth. It's not really scalable. It's a, it, it, that, that's one of the problems. They, you, you, there's a limit to how many people you can reach out to and it's very, very time consuming. Yes. So here's what I say. And this leads me to answering the second part of the question is from a business aspect. How did I, how did I grow this? And then how did I take advantage of it? So what I did was I identified what is my business model before I ever even put together my first treatment chair and saw my first patient. So eight years ago, right about this time, because July will be eight years, I had a business coach who sat me down and he said, who are you? What is your unique value proposition? What need in the marketplace do you see is missing that only you can, I, can address? Okay. Who is your so, ideal client? 
Okay, so you did that work really, really early. And I have to say, by the way, Before that- Before I even started. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we Actually, by the time this is published, we'll publish quite a few um, podcasts since then. But actually this week, we just pub- published one by a lady called Misty Barnes, who said literally the same thing that you did, that before she set up her clinic, she worked with a business coach to do the exact same work that you're talking about to establish the whole business model. So it's really, you know, very often we talk about creating a vision for your clinic very early on, but actually what you're talking about is way advanced than that. It's having a really serious business plan that identifies your unique positioning in the market, your audience, how you're going to be different. Um, uh, And I assume the financials as well. Well, I never actually wrote a business plan. I'm like Sarah Blakely from Spanx. Never wrote a performa, never wrote a business plan, never sat down and, and looked at the numbers and said, oh, this might fail. That just wasn't an option for me. But you did plan very, you, right, even before you opened your doors, you had an idea of what you wanted to build. In essence, yes. you almost had the end in mind. Yes. I, I said to myself, the game is over before it even starts. And here's what, what I- that game was. Yes, I was going to say, so what was the vision? So that was the vision. So it was, here's my ideal client. So my business model is a market skimming approach. I'm expensive. Everything in my company is expensive. And I did achieve that top 1% cosmetic injector in America. I still hold that status. I achieved that in 2018. And so that's what I tell people. You're here to pay for me and my expertise, my company, and the tech, the methods and the techniques that I have taught every person under my employment, you're not here to buy a product from us. You're here to buy our methodology. So you are selling the skill rather than an outcome yes. rather than the product. Yes. So our business model is we are here to preserve your face for the decade. So we, we don't go for the fake overfilled unnatural look. Those aren't my patients. I don't have that look for myself. I prefer a natural look for myself. I've never had anyone chase me down and say, who does your work? Right? Because natural is my preference. And in this industry, we're artists. And so that's my artistic style. That's my artistic preference. That's what I teach everyone under my employment. And that's what every single one of my patients gets. We've all seen those natural disasters walking around with the overinflated lips. Those are not my patients. Okay, so you had a you had a very clear vision before you set out. You got your first patients somehow. I never really asked that, but okay. You got your first patient. They referred you to the next patient. Um, so friends, really, friends. Okay, so who presumably, if you had a very clear target in mind, they were referring you to people who are similar to, to, to them. So you were still sticking to your, your target audience, I'm assuming. Always. <laughs> so that's very, very fast growth that you experienced. What are the challenges of growing so fast? Uh, systems, systems and technology, like period, end of story. It, you know, People will ask me, oh, what's the biggest struggle you have going into your eighth year? Is it, are you still trying to get patients? Are you still trying to get good employees? No, I'll tell you my number one struggle is technology. This system doesn't talk to this system. It's not unique to the med spa industry. It's just, 
technology at, at large has grown so quickly. We've all had trouble keeping up. The EMR or electronic medical record system that we use here in my office, it's still clunky. It's still cumbersome. We, we're still learning everything about it. We've been using it for over a year now. It, it's, it's technology and systems. So being an old cardiac nurse myself, I love algorithms. And so I would say that's what kept me in the game where it would be really easy to be taken out frustrated and say, there's no way I'm ever even going to try to scale my business because scaling requires systems that you can repeat. And because of my 20 years as a cardiac nurse, I actually love building, creating and improving systems. So that's not something that bothers me necessarily. But if you really want to see me pull my hair out, give me a technology problem. <laughs> I am useless. <laughs> Believe it or not, I feel the same way. <laughs> um, so at what point, at the beginning at least, a lot of the business was dependent on you personally. Um, it sounds like you achieved a million dollars revenue based mostly on, on you. Um, so at what point did you realize, hey, it can't all depend on me? Um, and, uh, you know, what did you do about that? Well, you know, I'm a nurse first. And so when my patients weren't able to get in to see me because my waiting list and my schedule was so full, I couldn't see any more people in the span of a week and, and have any sort of a semblance of a work-life balance. Um, that was one reason I said, well, it's time to expand beyond me and fulfill on that vision because that was my original vision. And uh, second of all, I started to receive inquiries from people around the nation and then, and then even internationally wanting training from me, asking me, you know, doctors and nurses asking me, how do I learn how to do what you do? And so I really saw an opportunity. Okay, if I can go in and I can train other people to provide the level of extraordinary customer service and extraordinary patient outcomes that I have learned to do, I and my company can reach far more people than I will ever be able to reach alone. You suddenly become scalable. Absolutely. Okay, so you decided to go um, teach other people. Um, I, one thing I saw on your on your website, which really intrigued me, was that you said, or your LinkedIn pro profile possibly, um, you said that the motto for your business is Scottsdale to Singapore by 2024. What do you mean by that? So our company vision statement is Scottsdale to Singapore by 2024. And our goal is to expand to multiple locations, expanding first in the Phoenix area, and then outside into other states, surrounding states, and then internationally to continue to grow the brand aesthetic solutions and still maintain our model of a market skimming approach. We're here to make powerful people look just as good on the outside as they feel on the inside and keep that boutique culture and exclusivity to our discerning clientele and have it reach around the globe. So have you developed the same kind of plan that you developed when you first opened your practice? Have you developed that looking forward for your growth plans as well? Yes, absolutely. So that was part of the original vision was to expand the company and have it become an enterprise. Um, franchise is not something we're currently looking at, but we're looking at a franchise type model so that that will give us options and we'll be able to diversify the company's portfolio. 
So you said a few things there that I want to pick up on. First of all, you talked about um, when the business was no longer dependent on you having to install systems and, and you talked about training. How do you inculcate your approach and your way of doing things um, to your staff, into your staff? Well, the only thing I love better than injecting and taking care of my own patients is training. I love teaching. I love training. I love empowering. That's what gets me out of bed every morning, whether it's my own staff or it's a medical office or a course that I'm actually teaching in. And so I have developed the ability to kind of crawl inside my own mind. And when I'm, when I'm teaching and when I'm speaking from stage, I use the analogy of it's like being inside a ketchup bottle, reading the label from the inside out. <laughs> I love that part of it because I'm essentially explaining to someone else, here's what ketchup is, here are the ingredients, here's what you use it for, and here's why you want to use it. And to me, that's just it's so exciting. I can, I can hardly stand it. Teaching and inspiring. You're a natural system, systemizer, systematizer, systemizer, possibly. Yes. Again, you know, it, it, it helped me in saving lives as a cardiac nurse. And so my ability to have created as a method and how I teach other people to arrive at a conclusion for themselves as an injector, as a practitioner, as a front desk concierge, whatever it is, um, those systems and the method that I've created are what have other people get it very easily, very effortlessly. So it's far more transformative than it is necessarily educational. So it's not something they're going to forget. It's an experience in the way that I teach it that has them being able to apply it immediately in their lives. Can you say, well, what, what is that experience? How do you teach it? I say it's like um, learning how to ride a bike. Once you understand the concept of gravity, it's a little hard to put language to it, but you know that you know how to ride a bike. Okay, so with your staff, not necessarily other people, um, are you showing them how to do things? Do they come to training sessions? Do they come to your seminars? H how do you actually teach them what they need to know? So as far as my staff goes, we have team Tuesdays and those are designed for teaching. And so we'll do product education. Uh, one of the one of my specialties is training what I've coined the art of the million dollar consultation which is essential in the med spa and any medical practice industry. And it's about transforming the conversation from practitioner to patient, one consultation at a time. And there are techniques and methods that I train in that consultation process that has the provider connect with the patient so that we're, you're easily able to collaborate on a customized treatment plan. So it's about being able to talk to them about what they really need and about what they really want um, and take, putting the focus on them rather than you, is that right? Yes. And I use a variety of techniques that I've coined over the years. One is called mining for gold. One is called the bridge to close. I like to give everything names because I think that makes it easier for you to remember when you're in a training setting.
it's a classic a classic marketing technique um why do Absolutely. you think that uh, obviously no one's ever as far as i know i've never been to med school but i would assume that no one's really ever taught to do a consultation um and certainly that's something that um you know that's critical for the sales process why do you think where do you think people go wrong well where do I think they go wrong as far as the absence of that in medical schools? Or could you be a little more specific? In terms of running a million dollar really good consult. If I understand your question correctly, what you're asking is what's missing that people aren't implementing a million dollar consultation with their patients. Education. Pure and simple, that's it. They're just simply not taught. Most people aren't born with an innate sales ability or an innate conversationalist ability. It's something that has to be learned. Some people are, there's a few people out there. I wasn't. I always laugh and say, I did not wake up this way. I took myself on and I trained myself. I read, I got educated, I took courses myself and then I packaged it together into my own uh, consultation training course. So without revealing any state secrets, because I realize this is something that you train people and that you obviously charge for, um, when people want to run a better consult consultation and put the um, put the attention more on the um, on the patient, well, what what's the secret to doing that? I'll say what I said from the stage when I spoke at the Aesthetic Blueprint at the last live uh, meeting that we had. When people connect, miracles happen. Anything is possible. And I think that this, of all times, is such a prime opportunity to have that happen because the world is starting to open back up. People are coming back out again. This is an industry that you have to have face-to-face -face contact with. And when people connect, I have helped patients get jobs before. <laughs> Not that I'm in that industry, but I like to coin myself as the Velcro of the universe. And that's how I train each one of my staff members too. We are opportunists. We're not just here to make sure you look fantastic and amazing. We're here to actually transform your life. And by the way, we do some cosmetic injectables and lasers. But it also goes to the depths that you know someone, because if you know enough that they are looking for a job and presumably maybe you have another patient that you know could help them, then that's already a level of intimacy with your patient. It speaks to a level of intimacy really with your patients. Absolutely. And that's the missing I saw in the marketplace when I opened my company eight years ago, is there was a need for something other than a swipe and stab sterile experience that women wanted to be able to sit down and talk about the latest struggles they're having with their teenager or the date they went on on Friday night. So how, women how, love that. how else does that express itself? How, how, you know, those are kind of things that are easy to say, you know, women need to be able to have a, spa a safe space to talk about those things. But how do you actually practice, beyond the consultation, how do you practically make that happen in your business? How do you bring that ideal and that principle to real life, really? Yeah, great question. So uh, again, that's something that I teach here. If you were to walk into my clinic at any time, Monday through Friday, nine to five, and ask any one of my staff members, what are the two questions that patients are always asking whenever they call, connect, or come in the door? Any one of them would be able to rattle it off their tongue. It's safety first, beauty second. 
And so that's where we always stand. Even if it's asking, did you have any trouble finding us when you get, when you got here today, if it's a new first time patient, patients have to have that innate trust or they're not going to allow you to stick a needle in them, fire a laser at them. They're certainly not going to come back. So it's partially about showing interest in them and partially just looking out for them. No, I would say it is 100% a function of ensuring that you have checked all of the boxes for that patient, that they are safe. Okay. And that is our responsibility as providers. Emily, when, when we speak to you, um, when I speak to you, I, I hear a woman who's very, very driven. Where, where did that drive come from? Well, I was born in Georgia and I was raised in the Carolinas. So I'm, a, um, I'm an East Coast girl. Um, and both my parents are hard workers. My father is a doctor. My mother's also a nurse and I'm the oldest of four kids. And the conversation in our home growing up was that we're here to serve others and we're here to always give our best and to operate with a very high level of integrity and a very strong work ethic. It was never a conversation of, Will you go to college? Will you accomplish something with your life? No, it's how, when, and where. So it's the conversation I grew up inside of and I'm, I'm grateful to my parents. Um, when, when I listen to you also talk about your business, there, there's almost a balance there. A lot of it is clearly built around you and your, your, your drive, obviously, but also your personality. Um, but on the other hand, there's that tension there, as we almost said before, between you as, as one person and the limits of what you're able to do and being able to scale. So how do you, how do you balance those? You know, putting yourself, I know that you're front and center of some of your marketing, for example. Um, was that a, is that a conscious decision? How, how much do you think about, well, should I be fronting this or should we be more, more of a, a brand that doesn't involve me as much? How do you balance that? Well, the goal is always that it's about the brand, right? But every brand has to have some sort of a face. Uh, even Nike has their latest and they rotate through who their, you know, who their face of their brand is. And so I kind of relate to myself as almost a cardstock image. Um, you know, I'm proud that I can be a billboard for this industry. I'll be 47 this year. And again, I prefer that natural look for myself. And I, I joke about my age as well and say, I didn't wake up like this either. I do the work. I do the work all over my life. I keep up with my own injections and, you know, my skincare and I practice what I preach. And so I'm happy to be a representation of what's possible in pausing the aging process for women of all ages and men as well. I think also very much, this is my approach anyway, that people buy from people that um, I, 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 I 100% agree with what you're doing because I really think that, um, that every good clinic and every good brand, at the end of the day, people need to feel that they know someone there really, really well um, because ultimately it's, it's about that, exactly about that intimacy that you were talking about. People need to feel a connection to someone and people, you feel a connection to a person ultimately less so to a brand. So from my, from where I'm standing, it makes for what, you know, you being the front of the, of the, of the brand, the face of the brand makes perfect sense. But um, of course, if you want to, to, to really expand that, you know, the, you get, you get the point where there's a bit of, where there can be some tension there. 
Well, that's how you know you're doing it right. That's an indication you're headed in the right direction. <laughs> that's what scaling is all about. It is because you're, you're busting out of that original model, you're going to the next phase. So yes, that is what scaling is all about. So being the face of the company, yes, I cannot be in 13 locations. I can't be in America and Singapore at the same time. So that's why I train my staff and coming in fall, I'm actually going to be opening my training course locally here in Scottsdale on my methodology because methodologies are what can be duplicated and replicated. So that's the goal for us to be able to scale. Okay, so we're gonna, I've got one more question about scaling the business before we take a break, um, which is that you, you've said to me in a, in a previous conversation that, um, that more than learning from any of your success, successes, um, you learned even more from, from your failures, which everyone has um, by definition. So what, what, what do you, what's your biggest regret? What do you consider your biggest mistake or your biggest failure, as it were, in, in terms of growing the business, I mean? Um, in terms of growing the business, I would say what I would advise, advise other business owners in the expansion process. So for instance, I grew, I started my company in a 150 square foot room. We used to call it a shower because it was so small. And at year five, we, outgrew, we had just massively outgrown the location. And so I moved to a 2000 square foot medical office space with multiple treatment rooms. And in the process of physically moving the business to a new location that was much larger, there were so many moving parts that what I would advise other business owners to do is to hire someone to come in and manage the project of relocating. Otherwise, you're essentially starting a whole new business, except you've got some patients who are, might stay with you. Everything is different. Structurally, it's different. Your systems are different. Um, some employees won't like the, turn, the, the changes. Some of your patients won't like the changes. And so that would be my advice is bring someone on board to manage your move who has experience doing that before, it will save you money, time, headaches, frustration, and sleepless nights. Interesting insight that moving to a much larger location in a way is restarting the business or can be, um, that, it, that it's almost like a rebranding because um, people, it, look, it looks and feels different, I guess. Um, and, and, and again, the challenges of growth. Absolutely. And at our, our move was positive in so, so many ways. And, you know, all things considered, I, what my team and I were able to accomplish having never done that before was just nothing short of miraculous. We essentially moved from, you know, a, a La Quinta end to the Ritz Carlton. It was most definitely exponentially a very grand move. And we have retained most of our patients, even though we broke a lot of the business rules of moving outside a certain mile radius, that sort of thing. Um, and, and I researched for two years before I moved to find the, the right location. I looked at geographics, demographics, all of that, um, dropped heat maps, did a lot of research and surveys and that sort of thing before I moved. And as much as I did that, it was a lot to be the CEO of the company and taking that on without any type of a project manager. 
So again, that would be the advice that I would give to anyone who's looking to move and expand their business. Excellent advice. I'm sure that many people underestimate the complexity um, of, of, of that move. Um, if you think the mo moving house is difficult enough, but moving a business has so many other implications um, and so many other complexities, uh, I'm sure you're 100% right. Okay, we're going to take a very, very quick break here. When we come back, I want to discuss your digital marketing with you, um, which I know is, is, uh, is, is seriously impressive. So we're going to talk about that in a second, um, and we'll, we'll be back straight after the break. Hey, it's Miriam here again. During this break, I have a quick question for you. Could you use some more Threadlifts patients? How about some more Body Sculpting patients? If the answer to either of those questions is yes, then we have two campaigns you can implement right now to generate new inquiries and bookings. The Threadlifts campaign is based on one we've run extremely successfully for three aesthetic clinics in Honolulu, LA, and London. So it's tried and tested on two continents and we've been refining and optimizing it ever since. But don't take my word for it. We've got a case study explaining exactly how the Threadlifts campaign works to bring in new patients and the kind of results it's generated. I've put the link in the show notes. Just head down there right now to grab your copy. And if you'd like to discuss how it can work for your clinic, my email address is in that document as well. We're also running a case study group right now for clinics that want to attract more body sculpting and skin tightening patients. We'll be working with you very closely to generate immediate appointments, both from new leads and from your existing patient list, and to create a body sculpting sales funnel that can bring in more high value appointments long-term. To find out more about how it works, email me at miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. That's miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. And I'll send you the details right now. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Practice. I'm here today with Emily Tryon in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, and Emily, in a previous discussion with you, you mentioned that you are on Clubhouse, which is a relatively new, um, and that you're using it for business, um, for business purposes. It's a relatively new um, social media platform that really has just come into everyone's consciousness in the last few months. So first of all, um, for the uninitiated, um, why don't you tell everyone what Clubhouse actually is? <laughs> Oh, that's a great start. I've gotten a lot of messages. What is Clubhouse? How do I join? What, you know, what is it? So it's an audio platform, which is just a really brilliant answer, I think, to Zoom fatigue for everyone during the past year that is designed for all sorts of different topics, but you can jump into Clubhouse. Uh, I believe currently it's still in beta testing phases, although it's nearing the end of that, I believe. I'm, I'm not a Clubhouse expert, but what I will say is I've had the opportunity to be in Clubhouse rooms. I've moderated and been a speaker in many Clubhouse rooms. And for the time and attention that I've given it, I've gotten so much back in return. I've had the opportunity to be on the stage with CEOs of enormous companies that I otherwise would never have had the opportunity to contact and speak with. And I've developed a lot of relationships on LinkedIn, on Instagram. So I definitely take advantage of it. It's a great so platform. Are you using it um, to network with patients or with your with peers essentially with peers there may be patients in the audience and a couple of them will come up on stages depending on what the topic is that we're discussing but the majority of it 
is about topics just like you and I are discussing. So with Clubhouse, presumably it's very different content to the kind of content that you are um, releasing on other platforms. Yes, I would say Clubhouse is a lot more um, a business approach. And so oftentimes on this stage, I'm speaking with other plastic surgeons, I'm speaking with other med spa owners, um, or I'm speaking with venture capitalists or investors who are talking about having scaled their companies as well. So it's much more business-minded approach. I've led a couple of clubhouse sessions that are designed for consumers where they have questions about plastic surgery versus thermal fillers. And so those have been fun as well. I enjoy it all. I love the opportunity to share. But I would say for the most part, clubhouse is seemingly the theme is sort of revolving itself into really being a business platform. So what's the secret of making a success to it? You know, if someone's coming to Clubhouse, another clinic owner um, without really any experience on Clubhouse, and to be fair, most people don't have any experience on Clubhouse, um, you know, and, and they really want to make the most of it. What are, what are your tips? Well, I have two tips. One is go ahead and set up your profile. And this is where you really want to don't hold back, brag about yourself. Talk about what your accomplishments are. Let people know who you are and say something personal. So if you look at my profile on Clubhouse, yes, it says I'm an RN turned seven figure entrepreneur, but I'm also a wine lover and a cat mom. So there's something personal there where people can relate to me. My second tip for Clubhouse is just get up there, raise your hand, get on stage even if you, if you say nothing more than, okay, hi, everyone, this is my first time on Clubhouse. I just wanted to come up here and introduce myself. Just take that leap. Get up there. They can't see you. They can only hear you. You're safe. I forgot to <laughs> say that it, is, that it is just an audio platform. Yes, audio only. Okay, so how carefully, first of all, how did you get into Clubhouse? Not that many people are, are on it yet. It's still relatively new. How did you get into it? Well, I'm probably your classic entrepreneur when I, I have shiny object syndrome and I'm always looking everywhere for opportunities all the time. <laughs> so how, how carefully do you pick which platforms are going to be on? You know, is that something, you, you, obviously Clubhouse is fun, so that's one attraction, um, but you know, everyone's time's limited. How, how do you pick where you want to be? Well, I, I always say if you're going to accomplish anything big in life, you live or die by your schedule. And so I set, I, I, I'm very ritualistic. I'm very routine oriented. And so I set certain blocks of time aside during my day that I contribute to or consume social media content on any platform. So you'll find me on LinkedIn in the morning and at night only for a very short period of time. Same with Instagram, Facebook. Here's my rule. You can take this one. My rule for Facebook, when I get on Facebook and Instagram, I click open the app and I allow myself three thumb scrolls <laughs> and then I shut it down. I, I, I wouldn't love that, that right but it's probably a good rule to adopt. <laughs> I'd probably be a lot more productive if I did. <laughs> But that's what that's the role I follow Monday through Friday, because I have a lot to accomplish during a work week on the weekends. Yes. Sunday mornings, Saturday mornings, 
that's my time until noon to do whatever I like. And sometimes I'll be on Instagram, Facebook, social media for several hours, just looking for content, opening up my creative mind. During the week, I have a lot to accomplish, so I stay on schedule. Where do you go to learn about the industry and about what's going on in the industry? Is there a source that you like? Um, well, that's a great question. Um, I, I, because I'm the one who's the source of a lot of things in the industry now. So I would say it's a little bit reversed. Most people come to me for what's going on in the industry. But again, I'm, I'm searching platforms all over the place all the time. Um, if it's not a, if it's not a, uh, something on the online, um, do you have a, a mentor? I know you spoke at the beginning about having a, a, a business coach, but is there anyone that you learn from and someone that you look up to? From a business standpoint or a medical practitioner standpoint? From a business standpoint, I think. Oh, my hero is Sarah Blakely. She's the founder of Spanx. She's the inventor of Spanx. And I just think she's a brilliant businesswoman who took yeah, an, an idea and a concept. Yeah, she just, she turned it into a billion dollar empire. Well, um, what have you learned? So, yes. Uh, her tenacity. I think we have that in just, we don't give up. Being in the entrepreneur ring, we get punched in this on a daily basis, multiple times during the day. And so just having the resilience to not give up no matter what. And, you know, I think we're all just a little bit crazy to have taken that dive into the entrepreneur world. Normal people wouldn't do this. You know, we wouldn't, we would, it's ordinary to give up. It's to find reasons to not continue. And so we have something special in us that just says, no, giving up is just not an option. I'll just find another way. And what's so striking, I what's love what's and admire that. What's striking to me though is hearing you refer to yourself as an entrepreneur because I think that many clinic owners don't actually think of themselves that way. They think of themselves as medical practitioners, um, if they are, um, who... Yeah, there's a business side to what they do as well. But how does that identity, do you now really just think of yourself as an entrepreneur? You've referred to yourself several times also as, as an RN. Um, how do those identities, um, you know, has one taken over the other at this stage? Uh, yes, I would say that, that when I, when I filed the patent, you know, my company eight years ago, I, I put on that hat where I am first a businesswoman and now I am second a nurse. And, you know, now that's just sort of all fluidly integrated into who I am. But I always say at the end of the day, business is my favorite drug. So Emily, if people, there's clearly a lot that people can learn from you. And I know, as we said several times during this podcast, um, you do teach an awful lot of it. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you um, and learn more about what you do and also how they can learn from you, what are the best places for them to go to? Well, I always say pick up the phone. It's a courageous. Don't send an email. Don't send a text message. Don't send them a DM or a PM or <laughs> any of those. Actually pick up the phone. And you can call and speak with my concierge at 480-280-6062. And they'll get you scheduled to have an intake call with me. And that's a 30-minute intake call. There's no charge for that. 
And I, my promise is always that you'll take something away from even that intake call that will make a difference for you right away. Um, and I assume that you have, uh, there's material online about your teaching for other clinic owners um, as well. And we will um, put any links, uh, all, all the relevant links at the bottom of this, in the show notes um, of this podcast as well. So anyone who's listening, just pop down to the bottom of the um, of the podcast. We probably won't put your number on there because I, you know, for, for, we probably won't put your number on there. We'll definitely put the, the links and then people can, if they get to the stage of the podcast, they can write the number down. Um, Emily, thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Um, and uh, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. It was all my pleasure. My pleasure too. Um, it's definitely mutual. And for everybody else, I'm Miriam Shaviv, Director of Brainstorm Digital, and I will see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.